everyone, and welcome to Sidetrack number nine of Derailed Trains of Thought. If you're new to the podcast, Sidetracks is where we do some bonus material for the podcast. It may be something that we felt just didn't fit in a regular episode, uh, whether we recorded especially for a sidetrack or sometimes material that was cut from uh, the recording of a regular episode. In this case, it's a little bit of both. Back in December, Nick and I recorded a discussion on Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi, because that had been kind of uh, our thing the last couple of years with the new Star Wars movies that came out. Never got it edited and put out for a variety of reasons. It's way late now, but the nice thing about uh, releasing it now in March is that I know the it's now available for purchase, like I think on digital copies, or if you want to get the DVD or Blu-ray, uh, that might be coming out, I think... If it's not out already, it's about to come out in a few days here. So accidentally, March is not a bad time to release a discussion of The Last Jedi. So that's what we're finally going to do here. Um, but then the second half is uh, something a little different. As you may recall, back in episode 84, we did a little book club uh, update or a little talking about the books that we read in 2017. And at that time, I thought about I'd been wanting to talk a little bit more about Final Fantasy 15 about some of the downloadable content that uh, I'd been playing. I recorded that for uh, that discussion, and then later in the editing process, decided, you know, that doesn't really fit in well with the discussion about books, and the episode was running long anyway, so I went decided to cut it. And honestly, it was a little bit of a rushed talking point anyway. I felt like there was a lot more I wanted to say about it. So after our discussion on The Last Jedi, you're going to hear my brief talk about that that we recorded for episode 84. And then I will uh, be back um, by myself without uh, without Nick just to share some more of my thoughts about Final Fantasy 15 because it's become one of my favorites in the whole series, actually. And uh, I think the downloadable content is something new that I couldn't really talk about before and when I first did it for Story School. So anyway, with that said, I hope you enjoy first off this uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi discussion. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another sidetrack, um, our annual Star Wars sidetrack. I don't know that we had anticipated this becoming an annual thing, but that's that's the way Star Wars works nowadays. We weren't even sure we were going to do this one, but we, we kind of just randomly started chatting with all, ah, we might as well record this. Hence the, <laughs> um, the different quality of recording. I'm recording on a phone and Tim's wherever he's recording. Yeah, I'm recording kind of the way we usually do weekly hijack. Anyways, Tim, so Jumanji. Yes, I just saw this today, um, actually. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. So, Okay, anyways, Last Jedi, everyone. Last Jedi, yes. Yeah, so, so Nick was was uh, holding us up here. <laughs> last, last time I saw him, actually, uh, you had not been able to see it, even though it had been out for like a weekend. And it's like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I didn't get to see it till Wednesday. After it came out, after Christmas? No, before Christmas, but after it came oh. out, right before, oh. right before I went on vacation. That's more acceptable. So, and Natasha, I sent on Monday. We were just having trouble with babies. It was complicated, but <laughs> movies are a lot more complicated when your parents. Well, not not as, and yeah, they are, but especially that time of year, there's just so many other things that some of my normal people, I get to babysit. We're all busy doing other things, mm, family and sense. other people. So. Right. Yeah. Anyways, that's neither here nor there for the movie. 
Well, I, I feel like we may be one of the last people to do reaction episodes to this. Um, yeah. Although, like you said, it is kind of after all the holiday rush, so it's a little understandable. And yeah, it's just it's it's tradition. Um, <laughs> but I really, I mean, I really enjoyed the movie. Yes, that's I, all we need to say. I We're did good. Too. Pardon? <laughs> that's the end of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, no, I uh, I really admired some of the daring uh, decisions they made. When I first saw it, I was like, I need some time to process this because they did a lot. They pulled all kinds of stunts in this movie, and it was it was a little overwhelming at first, just the kind of the pace it, it took. So like after right at, like at, right afterwards, I was like, "Whoo, man, that was a trip, and that was cool." But I gotta let some time for this to settle a little bit before I know exactly what I think about certain things. Yeah, between talking to Zach and then I talked to Nathan, our fr- friend Nathan, a little bit, is that it's really, well, Zach pointed out, and I agree with him, that the, most of the movie, you didn't know what was going to happen. Like, mm. there's multiple points where it could have gone this way or that way. And they often yeah. went the way you really weren't thinking it was going to go half the time. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, is, in some ways, it's probably the mo- one of the more thematically rich Star Wars movies. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, he has lots of the trappings of, say, riffing Empire Strikes Back. And, I mean, not 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 in a direct way, but, you know, it has lots of those little callbacks. Right. And, and Star Wars is set up like that. I mean, yeah. Luke Thema- is set that up. Yeah. Thema- thematically, yeah, it has very similar sorts of, not direct correlations, but, yeah, it certainly had a dialogue with Empire Strikes Back, as we might say in... Um, film criticism fancy pantsy terms <laughs> but it kept i mean like i really appreciate the sort of running theme of failure in it yeah that's uh the more i was thinking about that afterwards and a, a friend actually was one of the first to point this out to me particularly i was talking about how like with things like the structure the structure felt weird in some ways especially since Finn and Rose's plotline didn't really seem to go anywhere. They they go to this thing, they do this thing, and it just makes it worse. And nothing like happens. It was like at first it felt like what I was thinking about is it like it almost feels like a a, a wasted storyline. But then he pointed out it was like well the whole theme of the movie is about heroes failing. And when you look at it from that perspective, okay, so it's part of the reason why it feels so unusual is that we don't often see the point of of a storyline in the story is to show the heroes failing, you know, it's a, it's an unusual choice. I feel it is a really unusual choice. And I mean, I, I do admit Friday for me, the, the scenes that seem, I don't know, weakest, but most, I don't know. They didn't gel as well with me. Were some of the Canto bite scenes. The casino. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, I've heard ever, everyone has said that I've talked to. I don't think anyone felt the, the casino scenes just really gelled. I mean, they weren't, they weren't horrible, but they were, when, when we first went into there, it's like, this feels weird. Why does this feel so weird? And it's not as if it's not as if Star Wars can't have scenes in settings like that. But it just it was the one part of the movie that didn't feel very Star Wars. To there, me. There, there, yeah, I, I couldn't place my finger on exactly either that there's just something about the look or the setup or something. And again, I said it almost feels a little too capital ish, a little too Hunger Games, uh, the whole opulent rich sort of thing. And I do uh, not that, again, not that it doesn't exist in Star Wars, but somehow they didn't get the aesthetic quite right. I don't feel. Yeah, it, yeah, it's weird because like, like thematically, I like that plot line. I think it has a lot to do not just with the failure, but also setting up this idea that the resistance. It's not just resistance versus the First Order. It's the resistance against 
the oppression the people are feeling. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the force in, the force sensitivity can come from anywhere, you know, because it, it it sets up so you have that scene at the very end. Well, not only that, but it also sets up that you know that the the galaxy, the normal person, in the galaxy is suffering because of what's going on. On you know, it it gives kind of a ground level view of what's going on mm-hmm. with the Snokes and the Lukes of the world. Yeah, I do have to say though, I do I did enjoy the the riffing on the Cantina sound. I'm um, in the soundtrack. <laughs> Okay, of course you would catch pick up on that. <laughs> I've been listening to the soundtrack. It's it's quite it's it's very very good. Of course, any big themes that I missed again that uh, you picked up on? Well, obviously Ray's theme is awesome again and played all over yeah. the place. And the Resistance theme shows up, and I like it better this movie than the last movie. And Kylo Ren's is all over the place. Uh, there's another theme. I don't know what it's called, but it shows up with Finn and Rose. I don't know if it's them together or if it's just Finn's. It's kind of interesting. I'm sure there's other things. And then there's that music they play when Luke goes out to face the the First Order. Uh-huh. Uh, man, go to Spotify or listen to The Spark. The, I, man, I love that. It's so good. Uh, I don't know <laughs> cool. if it's a riff on some, uh, you know, some transformation, some other theme or a new theme, but it's great. It's a bit of a shame. This is a movie that even like right after seeing it, I was like, I need to see this again to – you know, get a different take on things. And, I, and again, just because holidays being so busy, I, I just haven't yet. Um, and I don't know, it'll probably be playing in theaters for a while. So maybe I'll get a chance sometime in January. Well, what I heard, but, it's like it's mandated to play for like four weeks or something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Disney was being kind of a jerk to some of the smaller theaters. But, Let's say, what's your take? Because I guess I, I don't keep up with Internet, which is fine with me. But I guess some people don't like the grumpy Luke. There's one of the interesting things about this movie that came out relatively early on into the kind of reaction process is that you don't want to put too much stock in just Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is meant to be kind of a tool, um, you know, a snapshot. You shouldn't base your own opinions on it. But it was very interesting. And people pointed this out. There was quite a marked difference between the critics who gave it like, you know, 93 percent or something approval and the met the Rotten Tomatoes users, viewers or something who was like more like 53 percent. Um, and I don't know that it was just one thing. I think there were a variety of things that um, certain viewers weren't happy with. I do think Luke was one of them that he wasn't he, he wasn't at his best, best heroics stuff, um, which I, some of it I was a little like, well, I don't know if you were paying attention to the trailers, but this is kind of what I expected. <laughs> Actually, honestly, as, as great as Luke was, he was part of the, the parts of the movie I could anticipate the most. Uh, I've, it seemed pretty clear from the last movie, from the trailers that this was kind of a broken Luke, that he was going to be kind of rejected and kind of beat down a bit. So that was, that was something I expected going into it. I thought it was really interesting being grumpy, broken Luke. Mm-hmm. I thought it made good character. No, I mean, I think, and it plays again thematic with this whole film. You know, I love that little scene where Yoda shows up. Yes, yes. And Yoda's like, no, this is it, you know because Yoda did the same thing. He went off to Dagobah because basically the whole empire fell apart after he forgot to yeah. beat up Sin- uh, Darth Sidious. Um, uh-huh. And I, I just, I, I really appreciate the fact that like, like messing up is not the end of the. You know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is that was that a puppet Yoda? 
You know, we were talking about that afterwards. I, I keep I haven't actually gone to uh, read about it, but it certainly looked like it. It looked much more um, puppety than the prequels. Yeah. I mean, it was a little strange. Like, and some of my sisters were like, I don't know if I liked the way he looked in that. But, and I was sort of like, well, you know, he did. There were 20 years before, and in some ways, not a long time to, um, you know, if if he's already 900 years old, it wouldn't seem that 20 years would really make that much of a difference to him in terms of age. But at the same time, it, he was in a much different phase of life. And, and Dagobah's um, probably not good for your health. <laughs> Possibly. Although, I don't know. I always wondered if that's something where we don't know a whole lot about his race. That's true. Uh, so I don't know if they like swamps normally or, or what. <laughs> Uh, just so those seagulls need to stop pecking them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, 20 years alone on anywhere will do things to a guy. Yeah. <laughs> As we see. <laughs> yes. Thinking about, though, that, that sort of disappointment, I was I was realizing I'm not actually sure 10 years ago that I would have liked this movie that much. Or if I would have liked the direction that the new movies have gone. It's Because I've said before, one thing I didn't like about the extended universe was that when you you sort of lost the feeling of the happy ending of Return of the Jedi, and I like Star Wars as space fantasy. I don't think it should be too serious. I kind of I kind of wanted them them to live happily ever after, and if they weren't, I at least wanted it to be in a movie. Well, that's kind of the direction the movie's going, and I sort of I sort of anticipated some of it. Again, you know, Episode Seven was. That was the wild card. We we didn't know a whole lot about where they were, how they were setting up this universe, and they they or you know this continuation of the, of the universe, and they assuaged a lot of fears in Episode Seven. It, it still felt very Star Wars, but at the same time, it didn't feel completely bleak. But any time you have a story kind of continuing onward, you know that means more problems are going to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't just come back and everything's still hunky dory. No, you got to have you got to have things to deal with. Yeah. So the very fact of having a continuation of Star Wars means that there was some more tragedy to befall our characters. Um, maybe it's some people might argue that it's more tragedy than they really wanted to see happen to Han, Leia, and Luke. But I um, I do appreciate that Luke said in this movie the galaxy was at peace for a long time. Yeah. He actually said that. So it's really only been the last how many years since Luke, you know, had a moment of weakness, that whole thing with Kylo Ren, that I think things started to go downhill. But, and and this is, sorry, this is sort of a long tangent, but all (laughs) that to say, I think I do appreciate some of these themes about failure and, you know, some some of these darker things than I would have 10 years ago because, you know, I'm older. I've you know <laughs> gone. I've gone through certain numbers of disappointments and you know some of my own failures like that. And so I I emphasize. I mean, obviously, I'm not as old as uh, old Luke is here, but I don't know. I'm just it's it's really interesting. Maybe I'm just in the right place at the right time for this sort of thing. I don't know. Now I do think like if this if this movie had been the last movie of the of these three, it would have been much worse. But because your middle yes. one, you know, right. I think there's a lot. You know, Ray's basically is constantly optimistic against everyone's being grumpy. <laughs> well, and like you said, we knew going in, this was probably going to be the empire strikes back. You know, yeah. It was, was going to be a pretty dark chapter. In oh man, though empire strikes back did not, they did not, they did not strike back as hard as first order struck back in this one. <laughs> True. I was, man, True. that scene when they just kept picking off the ships. I'm like, this is horrible. 
Just get on the planet already. By the, t- by the end of the movie, the entire re- resistance fits onto the Millennium Falcon. I know. I mean, it's that's, ridiculous. That's pretty sad. <laughs> but, man, I'll, I do have to say that whole that whole scene on – I think I think the planet's Crate. I think I've seen okay. it somewhere. With, you know, with the salt and the red soil underneath. And mm-hmm. that's pretty cool stuff, especially yes. when Luke does his anime – um, <laughs> based, his anime take largely where he just sits there and gets blasted by everyone and he's still there. I mean, that's yeah. that's so anime and it's wonderful. His, his little brush off his shoulder. That was one of the, <laughs> that was one of the biggest crowd pleasing moments of uh, of the night. <laughs> oh, but I, no, I was I was super happy for that planet. You know, I, that was one thing I really wanted from Seven that I didn't get a, a new cool location. Yeah, um, and that was a really cool planet. I thought. Yeah, I agreed and. And it's fun that as much as Luke was kind of a downer, at the end, he basically, he was the legendary hero everyone thought he was. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean, as sad as it is in some ways, at the same time, it's cool to see his arc in the movie. And also just the fact that he still sounds like Luke. You know, it's it was cool to talk to people afterward. There were some people who had no idea about Mark Hamill's uh, ongoing career as a voice actor and how he's he's been really you know he's he's been busy since in the last twenty years, and uh, but just to see him in, in action here and there's there's certain bits where he, we're sounding gruff, and then, but there's times when you talk to Chewie or R two, he's like it's still Luke, it's still the same guy, and that that was awesome to see. It was. I love it when he uh, winks at C three PO. Yeah. Yep. I was also happy because I was afraid going into it. I knew there was a ch- good chance that Luke might, you know, he might die in this movie. Because mm-hmm. um, I kind of figured, you know, this new trilogy is about the passing of the old generation. But I was actually really happy he got to go out on his own terms, yeah. basically. That he w- that he di- wasn't slain in battle like Han. That uh, he said he had gone to that planet to die. But I think... Obviously, he didn't for a long time, but because I think he had you know some unfinished business, but was eventually able to make peace with it. Yeah, and I have to say, Kylo Ren is a very interesting character. Yes, yes, we we came away like really fascinated with him and his uh, chemistry with <laughs> with uh, Ray. Yeah, those scenes were really interesting. I thought because it's it's because they're both kind of in the same place, but he just has decided to go a different path. <laughs> As in, let's burn everything. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I was one of the biggest surprises to the movies when all of a sudden it was like, wait, we're in Return of the Jedi already. I thought this was Empire Strikes Back. How do we get to Return of the See, Jedi? I think, that's, I think that's great because, you know, they're riffing old movies. And again, Lucas, I, I remember reading, he's always thought I was like jazz. But yeah, we get Return of the Jedi – Right there. I mean, he kills Snoke. Um, yes. And it's like... That whole sequence, it was like, what? what huh? Like, what do we do? What, what's going on? <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. There were, I, had, I had, I don't know, flashbacks, but it was very interesting when he's on the ground after they fight all the guards, which was a cool scene. And Kylo Ren's on the ground, and then Hux walks in. Um, and, he, you know, he, like, he, like, pulls out his blaster or his knife to kill him, and then he, Kylo starts moving. He's like, oh, never mind. Um, I saw, which is the whole was a great scene. Hux is Hux was great in this movie, but, but I just I just get the sense of um, Thrawn being killed by his own people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes nice. I sometimes think that Kylo he'll go like that, but I don't know. That's that's an interesting theory. My roommate's theory is that 
Kylo will wind up going back to uh, the light side, and Ray will go to the dark side. Oh, interesting! This is all over. Hmm. Like that's it's interesting. See, I, I can't figure out what they're going to do with Kylo because I mean, Luke and Leia have both basically given up on him, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Ray, I don't think has, but she's sort of innocent, so it's hard to know. But if you redeem Kylo, you got to do it in such a way that you don't feel too much like you're just on the nosing Return of the Jedi. But if you don't redeem him, then you're just kind of depressed because that's like the legacy of the of the Skywalker family. Yeah, I I still think I I think people would want to see him redeemed. I do too, I, but I, you're going to do it different. Yeah, I think you'd have to do it differently. I th- I think one of the biggest differences I would say maybe don't kill him at the end. You know, because Vader basically uh, has a moment of redemption and then dies. And then so he doesn't really have to deal with consequences. What if Kylo Ren, if he goes to the light side, then what does he do with that? Then he's you know, Rumpel. How does he, what? Then he's Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But, I mean, it would be interesting to see him try to make, you know, atone or do the Zuko route, I guess. You know? Yeah. I think – no, that would be very interesting. I think the – the neat thing about it right now is that I could see any of these things happening. Yeah. And that's I think that's kind of cool. Okay, if we're talking about uh, future theories, though, uh, or what might happen or talk, be talked about next movie, well, let me ask. Do you believe Kylo's interpretation that Ray's parents were just nobodies? I do, honestly. I think I prefer that, I think. I have very mixed feelings about it. I mean, on one hand, I could see it. It would be the simplest thing in some ways, especially since neither Luke or Leia seem to have any inclination of her being connected to anyone. I'm a little uncomfortable, again, that I'm okay with like there being a, a powerful force user that can come from anywhere, as some people have advocated for her being. I still think she's a little overpowered at this stage, in the last movie, at least, like, when she fought Kylo, at least you had, there was the um, caveat that Kylo had been pretty badly injured. I mean, he took a, a Wookiee bowcaster shot, yeah. like, to the chest or something. That's not something you, a normal person just shakes off and be able to do <laughs> amazing fighting after that. Yeah. But um, Ray didn't even really have that long to train. She probably had even less time to train with Luke than Luke did with Yoda um, yeah. or Obi-Wan. So it's like... Really, she, I could see her holding her own, but against like the elites of the first order, she's you know like they're just nothing to her. I don't know. I, I feel like that's pushing it a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I um, mean, the reason I kind of like it coming from nowhere is it actually works pretty well in um, just in Star Wars lore because Anakin basically was just well, he was immaculately conceived apparently, um, yeah. <laughs> but basically the Force created Anakin in order to balance the Force. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that the, the Force would create Rey to balance out Kylo. I mean, it, it runs in the wheelhouse of our previous movies. Yeah, it's it's possible. I I, I do go back, though, to what uh, Kathleen Kennedy said when these were first starting, that the, the main saga movies are in some ways supposed to be about the Skywalker clan. And so if Kylo or Ben is the only one left of that... I mean, you know, because we know, I don't think she was planned to originally, but we know Leia is not going to be around for the next movie. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm. You know, I sometimes a, wonder with the with the Ray parent thing, if they didn't throw around lots of possibilities when they're writing the first episode, like episode seven, mm-hmm. but they were still they they didn't say anything, but like, oh, it could be this or this, and then finally, 
with this one, they said, look, we're going to go this direction with it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't and know. It's, it's possible. I mean, I, I read a, a interview with the director that he said when the director who also wrote it, yeah, who said that in his mind, uh, Kylo wasn't lying at that point, but he also clarified that, you know, he's not really involved in the next movie. It's really up to the next people to kind of interpret that. And, we did see in this movie that sometimes force visions are not always accurate. Yeah. At least the interp- the interpretations are not always accurate. Uh, it's from a certain point of view. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. So I would I would say it's not completely set in stone yet. No, I no, I they could they could backtrack it. And, and they do. I'm not going I'm not going to be a particularly annoyed because they'll make sense either way to me. And you know, when Zach and I were talking about it, he said, you know, Ray could almost just be, instead of being like a, you know, a direct dis- heir, he, you know, more the spiritual heir of the Jedi and Luke Skywalker and everything. But I don't know. Could be. Um, there was something else with all that. You know, it's a shame. I thought it was, I, I thought it was very neat that sort of like Snoke dies when no one was expecting it, etc. Um, mm. I do hope they write a book at some point. Yeah, this is one, one other complaint I have about it. The fact that... I'm not even so much annoyed that we don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting that we don't know a whole lot about Snoke. I mean, it goes in some way, shows that the backstory is not all it's cracked out to be sometimes. Yeah. But I still feel like these movies are lacking a lot of context in what's going on in the universe at large. Like, why on earth, the, if the First Order is this big? Because in the last movie, we didn't know for sure if the first, how big the First Order actually was. It may have been mostly, you know, based around the Starkiller planet, for all we knew. Um, here, the show's like, no, they're still massive, and they have the advantage here. Then why on earth did the Republic let them build up an arm that that big? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Even, even, and like, and, and I know you said that there's, we, we talked in the last time, like, there's some treaty they sign, and that's why. But you shouldn't have to go read up in a book to, fi- to understand what's going on in the main movies. No, I, I do... I do agree, but I also, and again, I don't know. I mean, I like to know more stuff, and I, I'm with you there. But simultaneously, like the original trilogy, at least, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, the Emperor, there's no explanation for him. There's there's little, almost no explanation for the vast majority of the stuff that happens. We live in an internet culture now where people want, they plan giant answers. They want giant answers. I'm not saying we shouldn't have some more. I like, I would, I, yeah, I would like to have a little more detail here and there, but I'm not sure it's... It's more egregious because of the culture we live in than because of the movie itself, I think. In some ways. I, I still say, yeah, because of the culture we live in, it makes a big difference. Like the original movies, yeah, you can get away with that because the archetypes are pretty well, pretty easily, quickly understood. Mm-hmm. An evil empire, a re- rebellion, a ragtag rebellion. But this movie is so clever in how it deals with greater Star Wars mythology. In some ways, I think, you know, not only is this reflecting off our understanding of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and those expectations, but I think in some ways it's also even reformed by Rogue One in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, all this, all this talk about hope means a lot more after having seen Rogue One. Yeah. So considering all that kind of intertextuality, I I don't know why we can't also get some better clarification for what's going on. <laughs> like, I no, I and I I would agree. It would be nice to see that. And, and another a similar sort of sort of points, but this is also goes to one of my storytelling pet peeves the the whole thing with the mutiny on the resistance ship 
why on earth didn't Leia's second in command, whatever the new general lady is, just tell Poe what was going on? <laughs> Zach and I would talk about that. That we're like, why? The only thing you come up with, if you need to make story logic, is you know if they're being they, they're being tracked through hyperspace. Which do we ever learn how, or is it just some new tech? No, it, it's just something that all of a sudden they they have now. Okay, that that. Because there was a weird transition that made me have a weird theory, and then I'm like, no, that's not working. Because they're like, I have him on a string, and then suddenly Finn wakes up. I'm like, are they tracking him through the stormtrooper? But they never confirmed that, so I think it was just just a transition. But you know, it's possible that they just didn't want any. You know, if they you know they thought there might be size no leaks or whatever. But yeah, I'm with you. It's, I, yeah, I mean, all they would have had to say something along those lines is, yeah, we think we might have a leak on board our ship. Yeah. You know, they could have just said that. Yeah, no, I agree. And so then you have a huge mutiny and like that's just a that's just a storytelling pet peeve of mine when you cre- to create drama by not talking about things that normal people should be talking about. I, I do have to say, though, that I, I was very pleased to see more Poe this movie. Poe yes. was great. No, it was in the very beginning. I was like, I think they listened to our complaints about there not being interesting X-Wing battles last episode. Oh, man. Because <laughs> they started off with it right away. I was just grinning during that first whole battle because I love I, – I realized after I watched this movie or re-realized that my favorite parts of the originals are these space battles. I love the Death Star attacks, the asteroid field, all this stuff. You know, I love the pod race. I love these sort of things. Um, and so I was very happy to have more of that in this. Um, and we had in Rogue One, too. And someone needs to tell um, Disney to make some Rogue Squadron movies, okay? <laughs> Rogue Squadron movies would be genius. Come on, a ragtag band of people who do space battles? It'd be like uh, Fast and Furious in space. Um, that would be kind of cool. It'd be I, awesome. Yeah, I, would, I would go see that. I would see it multiple times. I'd see it nine times. Um, you know, it's interesting. You, <laughs> you uh, did you hear that the director of this, Rian Johnson, is going to start working on his own Star Wars trilogy? I that, heard that. Uh, what is it apparently about? Apparently, it's not. I don't think anyone knows yet. He, I mean, I think they pitched. He might have pitched something, but it's like not connect. It won't be like the same. You know, it won't be like Episode Ten or whatever. He did a good job for this. Generally, I think he has. I mean, except for the Kendall Bite thing, which was just a little off. I think. I'd like to see more Star Wars from this guy. Yeah. No, it was it was a really interesting take on a lot of things. To talk about aesthetics, man, he nailed the like the old British random commanders on in the First Order and in the Resistance. Like everyone just looks like they could have been cast back in like the early 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I like when we have, you know, random throwaway lines like the one lady to command after Leia, you know, she's like, oh, the general of such and such a battle. I'm like, oh, right. I like the fact that we have, you know, you just throw out <laughs> things like that. Yeah, um, no, it's good. Good stuff. So, and yeah, it was it was enjoyable. I'm trying to think of any big things I haven't talked about yet. Like I said, there's, uh, there's a lot I need to go back and see. Someone was – I was talking to someone who has seen it twice, and he was telling me about some things that were foreshadowed that I hadn't picked up on. Like in the scene with Yoda, Yoda says something along the lines of that the tree contains nothing which Ray does not already have. Oh, yeah. Um, and then at the end of the movie, we see that that uh, Ray uh, took the books from the tree. You know what? I didn't even catch the books the first time when I watched it. Someone yeah, told me afterward, they're in the drawer. I'm like, what? I was obviously distracted or something. Uh. <laughs> well, that make, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's a very subtle little thing. 
Oh, and uh, I guess they've they foreshadowed in some ways when uh, Kylo is ha- having one of his conversations with Ray. He's like, "How are you doing this?" And he's like, "Wait a minute, no, you you can't be doing this. If to transmit your signal this or whatever yourself this far would would the exertion would probably kill you." Yeah, which is basically what happens to Luke by the end. Yeah, um, that's true. So, I didn't catch that. Yeah, I haven't caught that either. But I was like, "Oh, that's that is very it's you know very subtle sort of like." planting ideas in the audience's mind that will pay off later, even if they're not aware of it. Yeah. I think, I think those are some of the, some of the big things. And we all have little things that we like to nitpick about storytelling. You know, I did some of that, but I, I, I think in some ways, some of the difference between the, um, the critics perspective and some of the audience perspective is that critics usually aren't looking at those kinds of things as much the internet has sort of taught us to <laughs> nitpick a little more, look for plot holes, little certain technical things tend to bug us more than I think certain film critics that like to look in the big picture. And I, and I do yes. think, especially with things like Star Wars, in at least in American culture, is that people build up these – it's like where the end lost to a lesser extent, where you build up these ideas of what you think the episode should have. Yeah. And then it doesn't or doesn't, you know, and sometimes you're disappointed from – expectations versus what's actually on the screen mm-hmm. i mean for some yeah. people and that's it's understandable as long as you're having as long as you're having a nuanced view of it if it's just like it should be only my way or but as long as you realize this is kind of my bias what i like about this what mm-hmm. i don't like about that that's you know whole yeah I, I can believe see like yeah your bias is that you don't care for this sort of thing and you didn't you know yeah, that makes sense. I guess like we talked on the official podcast, you know, do be able to analyze yourself like, do I not like this because it wasn't done well or because it's not doesn't hit a certain sweet spot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, most of the most of the BB-8 stuff just showing up random places like, OK, whatever. You know, that's nice. I would but, like to see some more uh, R2 in this movie, actually. I was realizing afterwards we don't see a whole lot of R2-D2 at all. No. I, there's like one... Two scenes of them. Seems yeah, like. I, I, I kind of enjoyed the scene where he played the the princess thing again. That was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> and looks like that's that, that's that's playing dirty. <laughs> I love Luke. You know, he's he's like he's so excited to see R two in the middle. It's, it, he does a good job. Yeah, he does. But anyway, I guess that's that's. I'm sure they could do more, but that's all. That's the main parts for me. Yep. Yep. Same here. And and by the way, uh, Jumanji is a lot of fun. Okay. Well, it looked a lot of fun. <laughs> And yeah. next time I go to a movie, it'll probably either be that or Natasha really wants to see The Greatest Showman. So, uh, okay. I, and I still need to try to see Coco if I can. I'm running out of time, so I'm not sure it's going to happen. But well, I'll oh. uh, I'll, I'll hold it against you. <laughs> I'll get it on DVD at least. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, awesome. Well, uh, everyone, thanks for listening to our rambling about uh, Last Jedi. After you've probably already made all your own opinions. Hopefully. We appreciate it. (laughs) Yes. I wanted to talk about, this is sort of a previously on, earlier last year I talked about Final Fantasy XV a bit. Yes. Since then, there's been a lot of DLC, which stands for downloadable content. This is my first time playing a modern game in some <laughs> ways, uh, one that has DLC. And um, I went ahead and got what they call a season pass, 
which gave you access to a lot of the stuff. There was a lot of downloadable content that was free, but there was four main things that came with the the paid subscription. You got, there's a special episode, like a little mini, not mini game, because that has a different sort of connotation. I don't know what you a, even... Like a flash fiction video game. Sort, sort <laughs> of. It's like two to three hours of like story-based sort of area to explore with a character. And there's there's three, the one for each of your sidekicks in the okay. main game and named after each one of them. And then there was a, the fourth one, which I haven't played as much of yet, is a new multiplayer thing called oh. Comrades. Interesting. If And if you don't have, you have to have like a subscription to the PlayStation Network or oh, something. Yeah. You have to have a paid thing to do it with other people. But you can't play through the campaign with a, a single player. Okay. They'll give you AIs to go through. But then even beyond that, they also added, they did some timed quests um, in the main game, some of the free stuff they added, like... For a certain period of time, there was like a special bonus boss in some area they could go oh. to and fight. Or they did the Moogle Chocobo Carnival, <laughs> which was a uh, fun little like new, like you didn't access it within the game. You had to access it from the title menu. Okay. Um, just like the bonus stories, <laughs> yeah. essentially. But this was just kind of a collection, like one of the, the towns is having a, a carnival and there's like games all around the town that you can go around and find and... <laughs> Uh, mini games. They did another one later on in the year that was the more strange one called the Assassin's Festival, which is a tie-in with Assassin's Creed. Interesting. And I was like, what is... <laughs> I mean, that one was kind of... The fun thing about that one is that it, you could see it actually taking place. actually had a storyline, whereas the other one didn't really. Okay. You could sort of see it actually taking place sometime during the game, whereas the other one, unless it was like a dream or something, it didn't really fit into the storyline yeah. anywhere. But aside from the the specifically Assassin's Creed themed events in it, most of it was kind of a repeat of the same mini games from the other <laughs> one. And then they also added another section in chapter thirteen of the main game. You go by yourself for a little bit, and it's a long slog through through a, a really um, just a long slog by yourself. So they added, thankfully, they added an alternate side of what was of uh, what your two of your sidekicks oh. were doing during that time that you could play at. Which is really nice if you want to replay through some of the game like I did um, so I could show some of it to my sister. It helps you get through that section <laughs> of the game a lot faster than it did originally. And then there's some, a, a number of other like smaller things like being able to turn your car into a monster truck and take it off, <laughs> off-roading, which is fun. And then this was really cool. After they uh, had done all the episodes of, the, of your sidekicks, they added the feature in the game where you could play as them during combat. Oh. You could switch them, which is pretty cool because that was a long time ago that was going to be in the original game. And they, they felt like they didn't have time to actually develop it. So they kind of to see them kind of bring it back in as part yeah. of a free upgrade was, was pretty cool. So the whole DLC experience was kind of fun, but also a little, it, it's kind of a bizarre thing because one sense you're like, I want to have just finished the game. But it's like, what? I keep kind of having to come back to it, you know? But part of it, too, is I think they they wanted to continue to improve the game. I mean, part of it is obviously a way to, to make more money. But they also have said they specifically wanted to address some feedback they gotten from the fans that felt like certain parts of the story weren't developed as much as they would like to be. Oh. And some people have... Uh, there's a mixed feeling about DLC in general because, in one sense... You have to pay to get additional, you know, some of the yeah. content you have to pay to get. It's like, why couldn't you just put that in the original game? Yeah. And from what I've heard, I think this is becoming more and more of a necessity 
as because the the cost of video games hasn't really changed much while the the cost of actually producing these giant games yeah. with lots of features has. So I understand why they do it. I mean, I'm not in a great position to talk because I got the original game as a Christmas present. <laughs> so I was fine. I was like, yeah, please, I'll, I'll buy this extra stuff. So it's it's definitely a mixed bag. I get why some people don't like it as much. I think there is a, a danger to not uh, having a finished product ready, you know, when it goes out. But at the same time, if you can continue to improve upon an experience, that's something that you don't get to do in very many storytelling mediums. Yeah. So I think it's it's a unique way to experience a story that I've been enjoying. Nice. It's like sideways stories. Kind of, kind of. As long as... Fill in the, the crumbs. Yes, yeah. The corners. As it's, and it's it's sort of like experiencing like a Star Wars or a franchise sort of experience. You got all these disparate parts that you kind of collect the story from. All these things, which I'm sort of used to, but I can, I can sort of understand where you're like... The days where you, you sort of paid a basic price for the package and you don't yeah. get that package. That could be frustrating. All right, my voice is going out, so it probably means it's time we wrap this up. All right, then. Okay, yeah, I don't know how much you could tell, but my voice really was giving out uh, toward the end of recording that, uh, that talk about Final Fantasy XV DLC there. So I was really kind of rushing through some some points a little bit. And one thing I didn't really get to talk about a whole lot, it was what I felt about the stories for each of the episodes that came out for the characters. I would say each episode was a little stronger than the one that came out before. The first one, episode uh, Gladiolus, um, named for the character Gladio. That's his full name, Gladiolus. It's a strange name, but, you know, it, it's Final Fantasy. It's not unusual. That one came out, I wouldn't say, around, let's see, March of 2017, which so that would be like three, four, around four and a half months after the game first came out. And you can sort of tell it had the least amount of new stuff. It was basically just a dungeon. It was like one era you could go through. And the story itself was okay, but it wasn't like, wow, that wasn't nearly as like eye-opening as you know you might have hoped it could be. The next one came out, uh, I think, the, f- the following summer, and you could tell they had had a bit more time. Uh, it was it played quite differently because the character in this one, Prompto, we're talking about episode Prompto here, his weapon of choice are guns. And so this it was basically a third-person shooter, which is really different to play in a Final Fantasy game. I mean, I guess it's been done before. There's a game called uh, Dirge of Cerberus for Final Fantasy VII, but I never played that, and I don't think it got very good reviews. But this was, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Um, it was a cool new area. It felt different. The last one was just kind of caverns and caves, dungeon areas sort of stuff. Not super interesting. This was in a, a frozen uh, landscape. Uh, you actually got to ride a snowmobile around in certain areas. It was pretty fun to explore, a lot more open feeling. Um, granted, some of the, the maps where you're just going through facilities and shooting dudes up, uh, soldiers, Magitek soldiers, sort of, you know, those are a little bit more linear. But still, you had, it just felt like a bigger bonus game. And so that was nice. I, I enjoyed Prompto and it had some, again, nice tie-ins to the regular story. Probably what most people think, though, is the best game was the one to come, the one that was released, oh, I want to say November or December of 2017. That was episode Ignis. And uh, this one 
before I knew much about it, it was the one that I wasn't quite sure where it fit in, was it going to fit in the storyline. But when it did, when it came out, it made sense. It was a good place to uh, expand a bit. And also the most revealing in, in some ways that you got to work with a character who was kind of against you at first, but then later he wound up, you found out he wound up helping you, but his name is Ravis. And uh, he, he was always a character in the main game that just felt like he was underused. Like they had ideas, but for some reason he didn't interact with the story at the right time. So this was ironically in the bonus area. It was a ni- nice way to uh, finally uh, get to know him a little more and Ignis too. Um, you get to know more about Ignis, find out some things again, some, pretty some, some pretty important things the other ones were you know i especially gladio was was pretty tangential and not super important although they did make use of it later but i'll get back to that prompto they had alluded to in retrospect it was probably pretty obvious what they were going to do with well i mean like in the regular game gladio says hey i gotta go take off for a little bit and he doesn't really explain what he's doing you're like oh this must be what they're going to do with their dlc thing and Prompto was a bit more organic. He got separated from the party thanks to, to the main villain, which felt natural. I didn't think about it being DLC at the time. Then when he comes back, he's like, oh, I just found this stuff out. And again, I don't know that I'd, even at that point I, I would thought about it, but it was nice to see how he made those discoveries in the process. Ignis was sort of a revelation. I, you didn't know what you didn't know um, in, until you saw episode Ignis. So that was pretty cool. The other unusual thing about episode Ignis was that it came with an alternate ending for the storyline. One that I don't really think makes sense in the course of the game. And by that, I mean, I don't think this alternate ending and the real ending work together. Like, like this was an alternate ending to have things go much happier. But if the way the world works, the way what they say in the game, the way the world works, then I don't think the alternate ending is really a valid one. Um, but I can't really say much without going into spoilers, but it's, it's a nice little fan, you know, fan thing to, to have in there. So yeah, those are the three stories. I, I still haven't played. Unfortunately, it's been three months, but I've been too busy. I still haven't gotten to play much of the multiplayer campaign comrades where you play as the uh, members of the Kingsglaive kind of the royal guard uh, during a period kind of a post-apocalyptic period of the main game storyline so I can't comment too much about that I can say since then much more recently um, there was another bonus pack introduced and this is a again goes into some of the controversy regarding DLC because they released a, a new version of the game called the Final Fantasy 15 Royal Edition but if you already had the game, you could buy what's called the uh, 15 Royal Pack. Some people had some disagreements with this. Because so, basically, I think I talked about the season pass in the first part, where basically, which included the three episodes. You could buy the episodes individually, along with some of the other stuff. Um, but the season pass gave you all three and, oh, and the comrades and some other things that came out intermittently throughout the year. But uh, I felt the season pass was a pretty good investment, um, especially since I got the original game for free. But anyway... But the Royal Edition version of the game came with all the new content from the Season Pass, plus some other new stuff. So if you wanted to get the other new stuff that was in the Royal Edition, you had to buy the Royal Pass. Because um, the Season Pass content is we're taking is pretty much done at this point. The downside of all that means is that the people who have been playing the game since day one and then wanted to buy the Season 1 Pass, and then wanted to get the Royal Pack, they are winding up paying more money than the people who waited and bought the Royal Edition. 
which is is problematic. I mean, you know, it's like you're making them pay extra when they're the ones who supported you, which is annoying. I mean, the upside of doing all that is you are getting to play the game earlier than someone who wants to wait for a you know big edition that has everything in it. Plus, you know, the other the other thing side of that is you know there's no guarantee that such a version is going to come out. I feel like that would be the uh, the other downside of waiting to buy it. Sure, you're going to get it at a cheaper price, but everyone else is going to know the story ahead of you. So uh, there are upsides and downsides to the whole thing. It, it feeds into the whole problem with DLC. Some people think with, a, like I said before, some people think with a lot of this new content that they've added to the game that should have been in there in the first place. And I think it's really hard to say. I mean, for one thing, I do think they had a legitimate reason why they couldn't have all the characters playable at first they the game had been in in a kind of development limbo for a long time it had been originally planned as a um, tie-in to final fantasy 13 before eventually it became its own thing and then at some point they had to change directors and they took on a new approach and there's there's definitely some evidence of that you know sometimes you see feels feels like certain ideas get grafted together and don't flow but uh, and so then if you take that perspective then the dlc really does feel like sort of covering up things that went wrong. But like I said, I think it's, one, admirable that they're working to fix it. To, and, and there have been, I should say, and there have been some, there has been some free DLC. Hasn't all been paid stuff. So some of that stuff, they, you know, they're paying for free. Um, if you want to say that all the episodes are necessity parts of the story, uh, I think it's a little sketchier. I don't really think that, I feel like the episodes themselves make sense as separate packages, I don't know that it would have been worth delaying the game because you delay the, the release of a game for too long and people start thinking there's you know other problems with it. A lot of times I feel like gamers want it both ways. They want the games developed quickly and they want it out now and it should be complete and there should be no time to have to add any other stuff. And I, I just don't think that's realistic anymore. That's more and more. I mean, again, I'm not a huge gamer uh, i've only kind of watched this stuff from the sidelines but from what from the things i've seen and heard i don't know i i feel like this way of doing it makes sense uh, am i happy that i wound up paying more to get all of the content than someone who went out and bought bought the royal edition well not really but i understand and again in some ways it's still worth it for me to get to experience this and not have to wait uh, you know, a whole year, you know, if I had waited for the Royal Edition, I'd be waiting like a whole nother year to actually get to experience any of it. And that, that's that's just not as fun. It's sort of like if you get to take a fast pass on a roller coaster um, and then they keep adding new stuff to it. So you get to come back and see the roller roller coaster multiple times. I don't know. That's a strange analogy, but that's what I'll go with. Oh, but I hadn't talked a whole lot about the content of the new content for the Royal Edition. Um, there are two main things. There's some other stuff, but the, the, the two things that were uh, most uh, important. One, there was an area in the original game where you took a boat ride, but you didn't actually get to explore much in the boat. Now you get to drive the boat on your own. You get to explore a lot of the sea off the coast of the main island between that and the other one of the other islands that you go to. 
Um, there's still areas, of course, that they won't let you go, but it's 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 a nice little addition. Uh, the second thing is they really expanded the last chapter of the game. Um, they let you explore a lot more of the city, which that's pretty cool. Um, considering how important the city of Insomnia is to the game or to the franchise, the franchise of Final Fantasy 15, especially if you've seen, seen Kingsglaive, where a lot of the, that movie takes place. It was nice to be able to explore more of the ruins of the city. Um, and you could do a little, a couple of quests, and there's a couple extra bosses. So one optional boss is the Omega, Omega Machine. I think that's what it's called. I guess it's a recurring thing. It's like a recurring optional, really tough boss from Final Fantasy games. I've not done that one yet because it's super. You have to be super high level, I think, to even attempt it. Uh, which I'll come back to that in a minute. So they added a bon- another boss, Cerberus, right before the original penultimate boss, Ifrit. Um, one thing I wasn't quite as certain about, so after, in the original game, after you fight Ifrit, you go into the palace and you're going to fight the main villain. And there's this, it's this kind of quiet, haunting sort of section where you're getting ready, you know you're going to be separated from your friends here pretty soon. And it, I don't know, it's just, it's got kind of an, it's a very nice, bittersweet area to go through. In the new version, now there's three extra bosses to go through, and the upside is it gives each of your comrades kind of a, a moment of awesome, um, and they and some of the, it will even touch it will even um, be kind of a touchstone back to their episode, you know, kind of what they learn from their episode and you know their resolve. So it's nice to give each of your companions kind of a moment to shine with each of that, but at the same time, it feels it starts making it feel a little more video gamey and a little less this sort of quiet moment. I mean, you still get a little moment just before you go in uh, where you pick out uh, an important photograph from, from the game that you take with you. But it's it's just different, and I don't know if I would have wanted to experience it that way the first playthrough. But I don't know. I mean, at the same time, I remember even first time going through the palace, I was like, man, this seems really quick and really easy. Like, in some ways, it didn't feel quite Final Area-esque, now it does, but I don't know that the extra bosses are really add that much to the experience. But maybe that's just because I'm playing with like my level sixty eight character, and you're you know it's a higher level than most people would go go in for that. I don't know. It's hard to say. What I will say, some final words about Final Fantasy fifteen. It's I said before, it's a little strange having to keep coming back to the game. You know, in some ways, I wanted to I was like. Because I've got all, all these other games for my PS4 that I would really like to play, but I keep coming back to, well, Final Fantasy XV and Kingdom Hearts games because I'm doing my Kingdom Hearts playthrough. But it, it's always kind of weird. It's like, oh, no, there's more 15 stuff I have to play through. I mean, even right now, there's still lots of stuff in the original game that I haven't done. Lots of quests, lots of uh, weapons that I haven't collected, um, dungeons that I haven't explored. I've barely touched the Chocobo racing thing. <laughs> In other Final Fantasy games, that wouldn't bother me as much because, like, Final Fantasy XII, there's tons of extra hunts in there, but they're not that super exciting. By the time I was done with the main story of Final Fantasy XII, I was pretty much done with the game. But there's something about this world of Final Fantasy XV that just keeps drawing me back. I mean, I want to keep exploring it. As much as part of me is like, I should really try to play some other stuff, I love this world. I love coming back to it. And that's one of the, uh, the, the I, I complain because I love it. Because it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's like, oh, why do you keep making so much good stuff? And I know there's even more DLC coming down the road, whether because people love the game so much or they keep wanting to add stuff to it or fix it or whatever you have. I mean, that depends on your perspective. 
some of the stuff I'm pretty looking forward to. I know they're supposed to do an episode about the main villain, Arden. Uh, I really hope they do an episode about one of the main girl characters, Luna Freya. But we'll we'll see if that happens or not. But like I said, it's just a world that I can come back to again and again. And I I just love it. I mean, this it really has become in a, well, okay, about a year. But relatively short amount of time, I do think it has become one of my favorite Final Fantasy games. Maybe not the best in every way. If you want a one that's best for what it does in its time, that's still probably probably six, like I said before. But on a personal level, I think this might have become my favorite. It just the, the combat system is one that just appeals to my tastes when it comes to video gaming. The world is super fun to explore. I love hearing the character interactions. The story is bittersweet, but there's a lot of there's a lot more sweet than bitter uh, overall, I think. And uh, so it, it's been it's been a special experience. Thankfully, for me at least, the DLC has uh, enhanced that rather than detracted from it overall, I think. So anyway, that's my extra speech spiel about Final Fantasy XV. I hope it didn't bore you too much. But thank you for listening. Uh, we should be having another episode coming out here very soon. So be listening in on derailedtrainsofthoughts.blogspot.com or subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher and all that good stuff. Um, Until next time, thanks a lot. This is Tim. Nick is not here right now, but uh, I know he says hi. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.